Welcome to Connect Church. Um, if you haven't met me, my name is Roland, and um, really is an honor to be able to get to share God's word with us and with you tonight. Um, if you're new, just to fill you in with what we're doing, we are currently doing a series we call Patterns, and essentially, um, the other name of, we refer to them as is uh, spiritual disciplines. Right? And um, we just felt God laid this on our hearts to do it as a series because so often we neglect these disciplines and we don't actually have them in place in our lives as patterns. And so we just felt God calling us to do this and we've been journeying for quite some time in this and we've still got some time to go. And um, tonight we're unpacking a really awesome discipline which isn't often referred to as a discipline or even seen as a discipline. It's just this thing that you do and most of us don't really like to do it because of our sinful nature, all right? And this discipline is called submission, right? Now, it is a massive topic, so I just want to preface this message with this. I cannot get into all the nitty-gritty details because there's just so much involved with this, right? I also recognize that this topic creates a lot of friction and heat amongst people when we speak about it because of the implications that it carries when we speak about submission in different places in our society and roles that we all have in our home and at church and at school and all that sort of stuff, right? So I'm gonna take great care uh, to, to hopefully with wisdom and with tact and with some form of authority to preach on this message and just trust that God is going to speak to us, right? One of the reasons why it is such a heated topic is because as humans, we have this incredible knack, right, of taking things that are extraordinarily good and, and, and then twisting them for our own means and, and to fit our own motives. And we, in a sense, ruin what God has created and has given to us as good, right? So that's, that's what happens. We have, this, we have this ability to take the best teachings of God and the best practices and disciplines and turn them into something that's actually quite awful, to quote Richard Foster, he says this, nothing can put people into bondage quite like religion, right? And, and nothing, in his opinion, in religion has done more to manipulate and to destroy people than a deficient teaching on submission. And I, I am fully convinced that through the Christian's life, right, the world needs to see that the biblical teaching on submission is totally opposite to that of the world's definition of what submission is and what it looks like. And through our lives, the world actually needs to see that the pattern of discipline brings life and it brings freedom and it brings blessing, right? That's, that's what I believe we need to be seeing in that pattern and what the world needs to see through our lives. So we're going to unpack quite a, quite a chunk of Scripture. I'm not going to unpack all of it, so please don't be scared as we read this and be like, oh, how are we going to get through every single verse? We need to read quite a chunk so we get a perspective uh, on what Paul is saying here and Peter. We're going to read quite a bit from Ephesians 5 and then a little bit from 1 Peter 2, and then we'll unpack as we go. But before we do that, let's pray together quickly. Now, Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you, Father God, that your word is life. And Lord, we don't have to fear your desire for us because what you have for us is good. Your word says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father, the heavenly light. And submission is a gift you give to all of us for the glorifying of your name and the extension of your kingdom. And so I pray, may we see it tonight, the way that you desire us to see it. May we be convicted through the spirit that this is of you for us and that it is a blessing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Awesome. So Ephesians 5, um, we're going to start in verse 15 and go all the way through to chapter 6, verse 9, and then we're going to do Peter 2, 13 to 3, 
17. Oh, no, just 2.13, 2.15. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for you. And do not get drunk on wine or with wine, for that is debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, because this is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleases, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whatever he, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Then we go to Peter, and it's just a couple of verses here. Peter sort of reiterates um, what Paul is saying, but he also adds something new that Paul hasn't mentioned, and he speaks about um, sort of in the public arena. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Quite a huge chunk of scripture, right? I needed to read all of that because we're going to touch on all of it as we go through this message. But what's important for us to do as we start, right, is to pay incredible attention and significant attention to how Paul starts in verse 18, be the, half, the, first, the second half of verse 18, right? It's, it's vital that we understand why he starts there the way that he did. Right? It's incredibly important to understanding of how biblical submission works and what it's all about because he links verse 18b when he says be filled with the Spirit to a whole bunch of stuff that is a result of being filled with the Spirit. And one of the things he says in verse 21 that is a result of being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. We can read it like this, verse 18b, well, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, what he's saying is that one of the key elements of godly submission is that it's mutual. It's to one another, and it's as a result of being filled with the Spirit. It's, it's as a result of Spirit life. It's as a result of an overflow of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it is mutual. It's to one another from the Spirit. It's, it's this kind of submission, Paul says, that we're called to by God that's only possible through an empowering of the Spirit in our lives. That's why it's out of reverence to Christ. Out of reverence to Christ, submit to one another. You can do that because the Holy Spirit is in you. It's an overflow of the Spirit at work. And at face value, when you consider the general understanding, right, of submission in the world, or the, world is def- or the world's definition of submission, which is um, that submission is only required to those who are above you. In other words, submission goes bottom-up. Authority comes top-down, right? And that you only have to give it to those above you. What Paul says, what he seems to be suggesting, doesn't really make much sense, right? Because when my boss tells me what to do, I do it because he's my boss. Why do I need the Spirit for that? Anybody can do that, right? It doesn't seem to make sense that we need the Spirit for this kind of submission. And, and also, there are many different people with many different roles and functions, in many different positions which require different responsibilities and carry with them different senses of authority. So how is it possible if I'm supposed to submit upwards and those under me are supposed to submit up to me, how is it possible that we all submit to one another equally and with reverence for Christ? How is it possible for Paul to say this and it actually makes sense, right? I believe it's because the world's definition of submission is not God's definition of submission. So we're going to come at this from a bit of a different angle. I really believe that biblical submission at its core, right, at its core is primarily about the condition or attitude of one's heart towards one another, right, more than it is about responding with appropriate outward actions to those who are in authority above us. I just want to say that again. I believe that biblical submission at its core is primarily about our heart condition and posture towards one another more than it is about appropriate outward action toward those in authority above us. Biblical submission flows out of our relationship with Jesus, and there's a sense in which we lay aside our rights regardless of our position and humbly serve one another. I believe that is at the core of godly submission. I just want to make this clear. I, I don't believe that that makes us, you know, or don't believe that it means we have to do away with or we disregard the concept of authority in general, right? Nor does it do away with the fact that there is godly ordained order and structure in this world in which certain people and certain people groups carry different responsibilities and different authority, some greater than others. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't respond to authorities in our day and age in an incorrect, ungodly way. We need to respond to them appropriately. That's why Paul goes on and Peter goes on to explain what submission looks like in certain contexts. Right? However, 
What Paul is saying does teach us that there's a sense in which even those who are in positions of authority over others are also required to submit to those under their authority by not being self-assertive and authoritative and domineering, pushing their own agendas, making sure that they get their way and their way no matter what. There's a sense in which godly submission calls every single one of us to seek first and foremost the well-being of those above us, alongside us, and below us. That's why it can be practiced by all of us. That's why it can be a discipline put in place in all of our lives, not just for those that are right at the bottom of any authority structure. With that in mind, the call to submit to one another makes sense, right? As I was thinking about it, it's like really, God's, God really wants us to get the heart of this thing. It's not just about having power and being able to make people do what you want them to do. Godly submission is about a heart posture which everybody needs to adopt and embrace. This is one of the beautiful things about a spirit-empowered life and godly submission is that it's totally opposed to our sinful natures and totally counter to culture. I love it when God does that, when He calls us to something that looks like something culture does, but actually at its core is completely different. I got thinking about how status and authority is measured in worldly terms. And, and most of the times, it's determined by how much money you have and, and, and how many people are below you, right? And so the goal then becomes ultimately to reduce the amount of people above you and to increase the amount of people below you, right? And then you grow in status. Godly submission goes... I need to reduce the amount of people below me and increase the amount of people above me. I don't abdicate my role, my responsibilities, but I position my heart in such a way that it is there to serve people and by so doing, I submit myself to them and their well-being. Because of the worldly mindset, right, that is out there about submission and authority, even the disciples got caught up in a bit of a tiff about who was gonna become the greatest. Right? In Mark chapter 9, 33 to 35, it says this, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, speaking about Jesus, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. Just picture that. You're walking with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're walking with Jesus, the one who through whom Everything was created, and in, that, and, and in that moment, you're discussing amongst you who's going to be the greatest. It's like he is. But somehow they were caught up with this idea that they were better than one another. And he said to them, if you would be first, any of you, you must be last and the servant of all. Jesus was in authority over his disciples, Right? We can agree on that. Besides the fact that he was God, his role and function in the kingdom was totally different to theirs, and as such, he carried far greater authority. In fact, in the scriptures, Jesus speaking to his disciples before he commissions them, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? Jesus had all authority, yet he lays down his rights as such, as such when he washed their feet. 
but he lays it down. He submits. His heart condition is exactly what ours needs to be, regardless of his role and function and his position. Right? That's what's at the heart of godly submission. He goes on to teach them in Mark chapter 10, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. In the eyes of the world, the greatest person is the person with the least people above them. Biblical submission is my heart is going to position myself, I'm going to position myself in such a way that I'm going to view everybody as better than me. That's godly submission. That's how we can all do that. That's how we can all practice this as a pattern. And obviously that looks different for us in different areas of our lives, but essentially at the heart of godly submission is this posture of heart that goes, I love Jesus, and so I love people. I love Jesus more than I love myself, and so I love people more than I love myself. So because of the nature, and this is the beautiful thing about godly submission, we can give, we can give submission to those who are in authority above us. We can give submission to our peers, and we can give submission to people who are below us, and we are above them in authority because of the positions and responsibilities we carry and fulfill. Therefore, biblical submission, I want to suggest tonight, is essentially a heart issue and a requirement for every believer because we're required to place others' interests above our own. If I think about Paul's call, right, let's just think about this, just, just, to, just to back this up and to, and, to, and to give weight to this comment and to this idea through Scripture. Just think about Paul's call to, upon the slaves of his day. It's, right, the ESV says they're bond servants, right, essentially slaves. I think about his call to them to live in submission to their masters, that, that recommendation culturally just doesn't seem to make much sense because by virtue of the fact that they were slaves, they were already in submission, whether they wanted to be or not. It doesn't seem to make sense that he calls them to submit until we realize that it's quite possible for a servant to obey their master without living in a spirit of submission. In other words, outwardly you can do what you're asked to do, but inwardly you can still live in rebellion against that person. I, I love this picture, and I see it in my children's faces as well, right? If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I saw this picture of, of, a, of a young boy being asked to sit down at the dinner table by his parents. And he was sitting there with this really cross look on his face, right? And the caption was, I want you to know that outside I'm sitting, but inside I'm standing up. Right? And I think that's sometimes, in fact, a lot of the times, how we live. We think we're being submissive because we're doing what we've been told to do. And that's good. That's great. Make the lives of your leaders easier. But the heart of godly submission is the heart you carry. It's why and how you're being obedient more than it is that you are doing what you've been asked to do. So I can be asked to do something, set up the chairs, I can be asked to prepare a message and I can begrudgingly do it and on the outside it can look like I'm in submission but on the inside I can be totally rebellious and God's going, that is not spirit-filled living. That is not kingdom living. The pattern of submission means that your heart posture is godly and that you are buying into what you've been asked to do to bless others and to put them above you. Right? That's the godly heart and a, a godly submission. What about 
some people may ask, the rest of Paul's teaching, right, and Peter's teaching, where he starts to unpack specific areas of one's life. Is the teaching that biblical submission, right, more of a heart issue than, a, than, than, than anything else, is, is that idea evident in the rest of those uh, verses that we read? Right? I really and truly believe it is, and I'm going to try and show you that tonight. I take, for example, the rest of Paul's teaching in Ephesians 5 and 6. Right? We read right in the beginning right, that Paul first calls to submission right, those who by virtue of their culture were already submissive. So he first calls wives, children, and slaves to be submissive. He first calls them into submission, and again, culturally, it doesn't make any sense that he would call them to be submissive because they were already, uh, because of the culture, subordinate and lesser. That's how culture saw them. They were the ones who, because of the culture they were in, not given a choice. They just had to be. Wives, children, and slaves. But Paul and Peter start there when they're unpacking the different areas of life where submission is required. He starts there. He goes, hey, you guys who cultures already said are submissive by nature and by virtue of the fact of the culture that you're in, I want you to submit. The only meaningful reason behind Paul calling those guys and Peter calling those guys to submission was due to the fact that the message of the kingdom of God had revolutionized the way that they saw themselves. Right? In other words, they were no longer seen and they no longer believed that they were lesser citizens because they were now sons and daughters of the king. That's what the gospel had done for them. They understood what kingdom living was about and that in the kingdom we have new identities. I'm no longer a wife, a child, a slave. That's my position in life, but I'm first and foremost a son or a daughter of the king. Being a Christian meant that they now had new status. And that's why Paul addresses them. He says, before you had no choice, now you've got a choice. And I want to urge you to voluntarily in your heart submit, not because it's your position in life, but because it's fitting before the Lord. It's good before the Lord to in your heart submit. You can fight this thing, but you're no longer by virtue of the culture, lesser, you are equal, but in your heart, now you need to choose to submit. They no longer submit out of fear, and because of cultural expectations forced on them, they now choose to submit, as Paul said right in the beginning, out of reverence for Christ. Then Paul and Peter turn their attentions to the culturally dominant ones, right? The husbands, the fathers, the masters. Husbands, love your wives. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. Some people, when I've chatted through this with them, have objected to the fact and have raised the issue. They've said that these verses don't seem to call the dominant partners to submission because the language Paul and Peter use isn't couched in the form of submissive sort of commands. The language isn't submissive. It doesn't appear to be calling them to submission. And to a point, I would agree, right? But what most people fail to see is just how much submission those commands demanded of the dominant partner in the culture that they lived in. You see, for the first century wife, child, and slave, they wouldn't have had to change much about their lives with regards to who they prioritized and the way they lived. 
but, but for the husband and for the master and for the father in the first century to obey Paul's commands would have required massive mind shifts and a change of lifestyle and a change of heart. Right? Because in essence, Paul and Peter's call to the fathers and to masters was to self-denial. It was deny what culture is telling you you have a right to. Right? And now love your wives more than yourself. See your slaves as equal. Love your children and give yourself for them. They are not just your possessions to be used for your glory and your gain. They are sons and daughters of the king. Love them. That would have been a paradigm shift in the way that they thought about their status and their stature and who they were in that culture. And so, ah, just as I'm reading this, I'm just going, for me, it seems like the sting of this teaching falls more on the dominant partners in their culture than it does on the weaker ones or the seem-to-be-weaker ones. So while husbands don't surrender or abdicate their role and responsibility within the home, the husband still stays the head of the home. The parents are still the parents. While that remains true, people still play out their roles and functions in the different areas God has given them to lead and to, and to function in. The heart changes. The way I'm a father, the way I'm a husband, the way I'm a boss, let's contextualize this for us, the way I'm a boss and the way I treat my employees, right? changes because it's no longer about me but about what I can do to bless them. That's godly submission. Instead of dominating, instead of desiring to get our own walls in our own way all the time, we lay aside our rights, we lay aside our needs, and we submit ourselves to the needs of others regardless of where we are in society's rankings and go, I want to bless you. I want to love you out of reverence for Christ. I submit myself to you. It's not all about you blessing me, but it's about me using what I've been given to bless you. That's godly submission. John Calvin once said this, right, in one of his sermons on Ephesians, and he's making, these are some rhetorical questions, right? He's not actually asking the question, wanting an answer. He, he's, he's come to the decision, him, the answer himself. He says, when a husband lovingly bears the burdens of his wife, is that not submission? When a father lovingly gives himself for his children, is that not submission? When we assist and serve one another, is that not submission? Therefore, he says, it would seem that there is a sense in which we are all mutually to submit to one another without abandoning our roles of God-given authority. Godly order exists. Godly structure exists. And there's a way we need to relate to one another that honors one another. There are people who carry greater responsibilities and have more authority than a lot of us in this room. Some of us are CEOs of companies. Some of us are senior pastors. Some of us are youth pastors. Some of us are doctors who lead other doctors. Some of us are whatever, whatever, whatever. We just have different roles and responsibilities which carry in themselves greater responsibilities and authority. And we need to respond to people in authority in a godly way. But at the heart of godly submission is this desire regardless of your position to honor others and to seek their best interests one of the things that tends to have a shy away from talking about submission and embracing it as a pattern in our lives is this idea that submission equals inferiority and authority equals superiority in other words if i'm in submission to somebody i'm by default lesser than them my boss is better than me because he's my boss. 
right? And if I'm in authority, those that are under me are lesser than me. I'm better than them. This has caused people to grossly abuse the positions of authority God has given them. And also, it has caused people to kick against godly structure because they refuse to be seen as lesser. Godly authority and structure doesn't render people lesser than others. It just gives us different roles, functions, and responsibilities. And the heart of it is that we're all equal because we're all God's children. We need to love each other that way. To deal with this issue of equality and to do away with this idea that to submit is an inferior thing, we just have to look at God. We just have to take the Trinity and look at the Trinity and the way that God functions in and of Himself. Within the Trinity, there is hierarchy and authority. And there's submission, yet at the same time, there's unity and equality. Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father doing. There's submission from the Son to the Father in the Godhead. And then Jesus, encouraging his disciples before he goes and he ascends back into heaven, or before he's even crucified, actually, he's talking to them, and he says, listen, don't worry. When I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to you, and you don't have to worry about whether he's going to teach you something different. He will only say what I tell him to say. He will only do what I tell him to do. There's a sense in which the Spirit submits to the Son and to the Father. The Son submits to the Father. There's a hierarchy that exists within the Trinity, and there's unity as well. The Spirit is not lesser God than the Son or the Father. The Son is not lesser God than the Father. They are all equally God, all present, all knowing, all powerful. Right? So we need to do away with this idea that to submit means to be inferior or that to have positions of authority with greater responsibility means that you're better. All authority is God-given. That's why Jesus was able to say to Pilate, the only reason why you can do what you're able to do to me is because God has given you the authority to do that. I'm not lesser than you. You're not better than me. You're just abusing the authority God has given you. There's an analogy that I loved when, when I was preparing for this, and it's one that I think we can all relate to. It's, it's one of an orchestra, right? There are many musicians all playing the same song, hopefully. That's the idea. With different instruments, with different parts to play, at different times, sitting in different stations, all submitting to one another and the roles that we all have to play within the orchestra, and ultimately all under the authority and the leadership of the conductor, who in our case is God. That's why Paul says to the masters at the end of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, sorry, verse 9, it says, Masters, do the same to them. In other words, treat your slaves like I'm telling them to respond to you. And break this idea that they're lesser and you're better. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. That's the truth about godly submission that we need to keep at the forefront of our minds. Whenever we're called to submit or whenever we're expecting someone to submit to us, just go, hang on, what's my heart here? Is my heart to puff myself up or am I using my position to submit myself to others and bless them for their good? Because that's godly submission. Godly submission begins and flows out of our reverence for Christ. 
In other words, your ability to implement this, passion, this pattern as a godly lifestyle and have it become a passion in your life flows out of your love for Jesus and the time that you spend with him. It starts with us waking up in the morning going, Jesus, what you want, how you want it, when you want it. That's my heart. It starts with this relationship, the one with you and the Lord. That's where godly submission starts. It starts with him and you, and you in submission to him. And then it flows out into every other area of life. And when you spend your time with Jesus, it becomes almost impossible because of the spirit at work in you to treat others as lesser than you or to feel like you're inferior just because you have somebody over you. Right? I think we carry that a lot, and we're guilty of that. We need to repent of both. We need to repent of thinking that we're better, and we need to repent of thinking that we're lesser. You cannot submit in a godly manner if you have not first submitted to God himself. At the heart of godly submission, remember, is this one thing, self-denial. And when Jesus called you to follow him, you responded to these words when he called you. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me daily. That's at the heart of his call for you and to you. And to be a Christian means you went, yes, Lord, I like that idea. I'm going to do that. And so to even start off with, you denied yourself. And now Jesus is just going, carry on that lifestyle and live that way with other people as well. One of the biggest blessings of, 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 of godly submission is that just like any other spiritual pattern, it, it carries with it its freedoms and its blessings, right? And one of, the, one of the blessings of being able to submit is its ability to bring about unity amongst God's people. But that's one of the biggest blessings that we get out of godly submission. In fact, I'd say that submission is a key, an essential key to unity within the church. Because it's the ability to lay down that terrible burden of always having to be right and get your own way. Right? One of the main reasons families break up, I think about my own family and my wife's family. One of the reasons why office environments are hostile and tense and why churches split is because people do not and cannot find in them the freedom to give in to each other. Right? We're always wanting to press our agenda. We're always wanting to get our way. We're always wanting to be heard and to be right. We can't stand not getting our own way and having people tell us what to do. So we fight against that. And I think there are places where, you know, someone's opinion has to be accepted and gone. You have to go with something. Can't all always compromise, right? Sometimes compromise is good, but sometimes compromise is everybody just getting what nobody actually really wants, and that's sometimes bad. But I think most of the time we hold on to our right to be heard and to have it our way, and godly submission is a sense in which we go, God, I trust you, and I'm going to seek the better, um, and I'm going to seek the better way. I'm, I'm going to seek the best for these people and this person, regardless of what I think and how I feel, because you call me to love them first it becomes such a wonderful thing to submit right because it sets you free from that burning anger as well and the bitterness that comes when you feel like something hasn't gone your way or people haven't treated you the way you feel like you have the right to be treated some of the other blessings of submission are that we inherit life and that's a given it's an obvious when you submit your life to Jesus and you submit yourself to his authority, you're saved. 
when you say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my King, and I want to live for you. There's a submission that happens there, and Jesus says, come into the family. Children grow up to maturity and live long lives. We see Jesus submitting to his parents, growing up in wisdom and in stature. There's a promise in the scriptures that you will live long. It's one of the first promises. It's the first command with a promise. Honor your mother and father. Like wives, God's word says you become holy and blameless. Some wives were married to ungodly men. Your submission to them in a godly manner shows them the heart of God and God's word says may even win them for him. It doesn't mean you become a doormat because submission stops at a certain point. It stops when it becomes destructive and goes outside of the boundaries God has set for it. We submit always to the highest authority and the highest authority is God. God hears the prayers of the husband who honors his wife. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, love your wives and honor them so that it may go well with you and the Lord will hear your prayers. Some husbands are so domineering and so authoritative and think that it's all about them getting their ways that God will not listen to your prayer because of the way you're treating your, your wife. There's a sense in which if you, you're going to, want to be real with God and, and have Him respond to you, you need to be submitting to your wife and seeking her needs first, not giving her the role and function God has given you to fulfill in the home, but fulfilling your role and function with the heart attitude of blessing her and loving her above yourself. God says that he will hear your prayers if you do that. The church grows stronger as the church submits to their leadership. In Hebrews 13, 7, sorry, I didn't have it up here, but it says, like, don't make, I'm going to paraphrase, don't make the life of your leaders hard. That's not going to be good for you. Submit to them. They have been given authority over you so that it may go well with you. Not because they're better and you're lesser. It's because God has determined for them to carry that responsibility. Now submit. It's just going to go well for you. The church is going to grow when that happens. In the end, we realize that love and godliness, right? They, they embrace each other. And we embrace a godly lifestyle when we love one another and we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And so I walk in this thing by daily choosing to go, this person, I love them. And if they ask me to do something that's within God's boundaries for me, it's within you know, the structures that God has set up for me biblically, I'm going to do it with all my hearts to bless them. It's not about me, it's about them. I'm going to choose to put this pattern in place in my life and love others regardless of whether I'm a CEO or the janitor. Regardless of whether I'm a teacher, right, or sitting in parliament, I am going to honor people. And God's word says that's, that's godly submission. We, we need to submit to each other like that. And when we start to see that happening, I can promise you, church, we'll start to see unity in a way we haven't before. We'll start to see love cultivated in this church in a way we haven't before. And a blessing from the Lord, God's word says that it is a blessing when his brothers, when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's like, it's like an anointing of oil that's been poured out on one's head, flowing down, on, down onto his robe, Aaron's beard, down onto his robe. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And for unity, we need submission. That's why this pattern is so important. Let's pray together.
Father God, I just want to thank you for your word and how rich it is. Just, just as been sharing, I just feel like there's a way that we need a response tonight. I think during our worship time, I really feel like um, we need to be coming before the Lord and repenting of two things. One, of where we've seen ourselves as better than others because of the positions of authority we carry and the responsibilities God has given us to carry. And two, to repent of the insecurity and inferiority we've felt about ourselves because there have been people above us. And to just come before the Lord and go, God, you are my master, you are my king. And before you alone, I bow my identities from you. Help me to love people the way you did and to honor people the way you did. I just pray that as we do, I just, I just really feel that as we do that, God's going to bring freedom tonight. Maybe even just a time of sharing testimony of what God has done in our lives in this area, if there are any people who have that. And we're also going to go into a time um, where, where we're going to take communion. And just to remind you that this is one of those acts of submission we, we do before the Lord. God says, do this in remembrance of me. God commands us to do this. We do it as a submission to him. And it's a reminder of what God did on the cross for us, where his body was broken and his blood was spilt. And we go there and we lay down at his feet everything that hinders us from running this race for him. So just, Father, I pray that as we go into a time of worship, may there be appropriate response from your people tonight. Lord, would we repent before you of the things we need to repent of? May you cultivate in our hearts through the Spirit of God a love for submission and a desire to honor you and other people above ourselves. God, would you bring words of encouragement, testimonies, and prayers for people to pray that are in line with your word tonight and are appropriate for our worship response to you in Jesus' name. God, may we be a church that live together in unity and strive towards submitting to one another for the glory of your name. Joe, do you want to share with you? Do you want to share? Okay. Awesome. Well, why don't you stand with us? We're going to go into the time of worship. If, if you want to come to the front for prayer for anything, please come to us in the front. We'd love to pray for you. Um, but if you'd stand with us, we're going to...